0: Friends, it's such a privilege to have you with us here at New Life Church this morning. My name is Michael. I'm the pastor, one of the pastors here at New Life. Massive shout out to everyone joining us online. We have about three to 400 people each week who, who log in and are with us online right now. And thank you so much for wherever you're joining us around Australia or the world. It's an honor to have you here. You know what I love about Alpha is, um, is how surprising it can be in its effectiveness. And I would just love to encourage you that when you hear Alpha, that's not for somebody else to invite their friend. That's you. Because there are people in your world who need to know Jesus. And if there aren't, we need bigger worlds. There's this moment we had this week across Gold Coast, uh, across Newark, sorry, where we had all in nights on Wednesday and Thursday night. Hands up if you came to all in. It's fantastic. I was going to say, hands up, if you wanted to be there, but I won't, because I don't know. I'll just let you be like, we all wanted to be there. Um, but at Wednesday night, uh, at our very first All In, there was this girl there named Maddie. And I was so shocked to see her there, because she's only coming to church for a short time the last three weeks. But Maddie joined our church by first attending Alpha during COVID. And now... Her whole life is transformed and she's a part of all in, leaning into what God is doing because someone a year and a half ago said, hey, have you tried Alpha? There are people in our world who need to know the grace and gospel of Jesus. Who might you invite to Alpha this week? I'd love to encourage you to think and prayerfully. And that's, that was just, that, that's free. That wasn't even the sermon. That was, you can just put that in your pocket. Thank you so much for the gratuitous laugh, that one person. What I'd like to do now is I want to take a moment to honor someone and a group and a team of people. Now, in the first service, we had about 10 people come up because they were all at the first service. But we have a couple here at this service. I don't know if you've noticed, but when you come onto this church property, it is beautiful and lush. We have amazing gardens here at New Life. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. If you don't know what I'm saying, um, that's probably because you don't have a green thumb. These are very well manicured gardens. The lawns are always mowed. It's phenomenal. And the reason why this is the case is because we believe when God gives us responsibility for something, that we've got to be good stewards of it to make it a beautiful representation of his goodness, his gospel, and his love. Every Thursday morning at 7am, if you're here, a group of about 10 to 15 gentlemen and ladies rock up to serve and volunteer their time to manicure and take care of the gardens here on site it is a phenomenal task force and they've been doing it for 25 26 years it's it's amazing that they do it and a lot of them have been serving for that entire time free and completely volunteering. Why? Because they're passionate about what God is doing here at New Life. So I would love to welcome uh, the person who heads up our gardening team to the platform. And if any of gardeners are here, we'd love you to come to the platform as well. Bruce McIver, would you come up? Can we honor Bruce and the gardeners who are here today? He should be pointing at some people. Yeah, Giel is here as well. So the first service, we had like this mob of like 10, 12 rock up. And this morning, we've got Bruce and Gill who are with us. Bruce... Fantastic to have you at the 10am service, and real quickly, how long have you been serving on the gardening team, how long have you been serving, and how long have you been leading it? Um, I've been around... I think that's on, is that
1: on? Am I on? There we go. Um, I've been doing it for at least 16 years. Wow. Um, I took over a tractor while someone else was not well and he didn't come back and I stayed. (laughs) Um, In terms of leading, Des Des Graham, as you mentioned, has been here since the beginning and he and George Tembrink were gardeners here, I think, before the buildings were here. So they probably mowed the whole lot. Yeah, wow. So Des has been here for the whole 26. How old is Des? Tom is here longer than me and uh, I've been here about 16.
0: Wow. How old is Des and Tom? They're our oldest gardeners.
1: Des is 96 and uh, Tom is 90. Yeah. Uh with the recent COVID situation.
0: So there's that there's that husband out there right now who's like, I'm just too tired to do the gardening <laughs> this weekend. Uh, uh, Des can do it. All right. Now Des and Tom actually in the first service we gave them an honorary an honorary title because they've had to step off gardening. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Bruce?
1: Well, during COVID, of course, anyone over seventy was advised to stay home. So given that Des and Tom were ninety, I thought, well, perhaps I should apply it to them. Um, A couple of other people took their exercise of a Thursday morning out in the paddock. Um, So we managed to keep the place looking civilised during the COVID shutdown. Um, The honour, I I thought that for the length of service that they put in, and given that the gardening group is a small group in its own right, we work separately around the place between seven and nine and then get together for coffee and have a chat and solve the problems of the world and it's really a small group at that point in its own right. So Mm. uh, the the guys and girls look out for each other and I think that's an important thing. Uh, Given that Des and Tom have now reached the point where they really need to step back, I really thought that uh, we could create a thing called the Life Member of the Gardening Group which would allow them to come and join us for coffee on a Thursday morning. Yeah, And there was an extra... Flourish Stewart this morning.
0: Yeah, it's phenomenal. And guys like Gil and Honor Gil for being with us at the 10am as well. There, there is this amazing dedicated group of, of men and women who love to pour out their lives and give towards the church, which is great. And, and Bruce, if someone wanted to join the gardening team, what do they need to know or do or be? How do they join the gardening team?
1: Well, if you're uh, physically fit, like gardening, and uh, are available on Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, please join us at the Gardener's Shed at 7 o'clock. Couple of hours' work and coffee at nine. If I, so if I rock up, I get to drive a tractor. Yeah, no, you'll have to convince me you know what you're doing yeah, first. Yeah, sure.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's Just a, as Dez
1: did to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Friends, we, we would love to extend that invitation to you, if you would love to join the team. They're a great bunch of guys They have free coffee together afterwards in the cafe, and they love hanging out. Alan Banks is the pastor to the gardeners and to many of you as well, and you know Alan. Many of you would know Alan and all they do. Would you honor uh, Would you honor Bruce and Giel for joining us this morning? <laughs> Thanks, God. Not you can take that. We have so many other teams who serve across the life of our church, and uh, and we, we love honouring the work and the way that people lay the sacrifice of their own time to give towards what God is doing here. Hey, on that note, this is anointing Sunday, and anointing Sunday is a moment where we just create space for us to pray over each other, bless one another, and also anoint each other. Now, I know you, what many of you be thinking: what the what the heck is anointing? I, I'm not ready. I did not know that this was what this was. So. Before we get there, let me pray, and I'm going to explain really shortly what what, what we believe the heart of God is for today, um, and then we'll step into a time of ministry together. Would you join with me as we pray? So gracious God, I thank you for guys like Bruce and Giel, who follow such demonstrations of your faithfulness and your goodness to this church, bringing men and women who lovingly pour out their time and their service for a greater cause. God, I thank you for your goodness here this morning. I pray that we would see as we sang that you are beautiful and worthy of praise. Capture our hearts, capture our attention, focus our minds. I pray every teenager in the room would receive powerfully today as they sit in and steady on a youth. I pray every adult would hear your voice clearly. And in Jesus' name we pray less of me, more of you. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to explain in a moment why teenagers are in the room. So if you're in a teenager here and you're currently sitting going, where's New Life Youth? Why is New Life Youth not happening? Just give me a really quick groan. Wow. In the first service, you just heard this. Crickets. But I was looking at teenagers who were like, don't tell me what to do. Like uh, was fantastic. Hey, thank you so much, teenagers, for being here in here with us. My hope is that you would be a part of it and that you would feel this is important and special. I said to Courtney and Jason, my heart for today was that our teenagers would be able to receive what God has laid um, on me to share with you. So to begin that, I want you to recall that moment when you were young, or, which should be right now for all of you, um, that moment when your mum or dad had that special set of cutlery. Now, you may not remember this, we used to call it the silverware in my house, but the silverware, at least in my house, um, was different from your normal cutlery. There was your everyday run-of-the-mill cutlery, and then there was the precious cutlery that you only used in a certain amount of time. Now, I knew how my mum felt about people by which cutlery she told me to set the table with, right? (laughs) Right? Like, there were moments where my mom would be like, all right, it's just normal cutlery nights, tonight." like, oh, these guys are not very special. <laughs> and then there would be these brief moments when uh, we'd break out the silverware, and I'd be like, wow, this person must be like the queen. And I'd be like so fascinated with who was coming over my house. Now as a young kid, like, you break out the silverware once every 10 years, right? Like, it, does everyone know what I mean by this special set? Yeah, some of you. Teenagers, you don't have to put up your hand. You can just, like, stay awake with me. There's this, there's this thing when you grow up and you're like, I'm never going to do that. When I have my own house, marry my wife, we are never going to have separate cutlery and, and chinaware. Everything can be used for everyone. And then I grew up and then I got married. And then we got these really nice glasses. Now I can tell exactly what my wife thinks about you by the glass she allows you to drink from when you come over my home. Come over my home, I'll let you know. I'll be like, and which cup would you like this one? To? Oh, that one. Mm-mm. Check your food for poisoning. Like there's, there's just a sense. Now, what frustrated me is that there are some glasses that we never drink from. Not even I'm allowed to drink from them, which makes me think my wife has someone in mind that one day will come to our house. It's like they will be good enough to drink from the glass. For me, I'm actually not allowed to touch many glasses in my house because I break them all. I just have plastic sippy cups. That's, that's how I rock it out. Now, what's the, what's the reality here? What's the reality here is that sometimes in our homes, what we're doing here is we're setting apart things for a special purpose, right? Like these glasses are set apart for a special purpose. Now, that is the best way to understand what anointing is. Not that like some people get used by God and others don't and we work out who he loves more because of that. No, 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 not at all. But to anoint something is to set it apart for a purpose. And that's kind of a really helpful way of understanding what we're about to do today. See, in the Old Testament, you had three offices that would be anointed. You'd have the office of king, priest, um, and office of prophet. And what they would do is that they would anoint men and women who were in these offices as a way of setting them apart for a higher purpose. And and this is a beautiful thing to, to have anointed, to be told that you have a higher calling, a higher purpose than just your run of the mill. Now, what does that mean for us? Does that mean if you get anointed today that suddenly you're a prophet, priest or a king and your whole life is about to change? No, not at all. You see, because of the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that not just some people are set apart and called by God with a higher purpose, but that anyone who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior is anointed for a higher purpose and a calling to declare the goodness of the one who called them out of darkness into his glorious light. And the reason why teenagers are in the room today is because you need to hear from me that what makes you special is not followers on your Instagram account, not the attention you gain from the world by being culturally relevant, but by choosing to follow Jesus, he will set you apart for the rest of your life, no matter your age, to be called to a higher purpose and a reason. You've got a teenager sitting next to you, you touch them and be like, that's you he's talking about. Because there's a need for me to recognize, hey, adults, this isn't just for us. And I recognize teenagers, you're like, Michael, I'm already falling asleep. Stay with me. I promise you this isn't going to be too hard because this is for you today because the greatest thing I wish someone had told me when I was 13 was, Michael, you follow Jesus. Your life will be the greatest adventure you could ever know. And that's what I want you to know today. But some of us have gone past teenage years and we still haven't realized that we are set apart and anointed and called by God. Friends, we look forward to anointing every single one who would be willing today to know 2021 is the year where you are set apart for the higher purpose and the glory of God and the good of the world. So to be anointed means simply to be, I don't think my click is working, to be anointed is something, to anoint something is to set it apart for a higher purpose. Now, what do we, what do, we do when we anoint? We also speak a blessing over people. When we speak this blessing, ultimately, we say these words called, from Numbers 6, verse 23 to 27. This clicker won't work, so I'm just going to rely on you today. So uh, the blessing comes from Numbers chapter 6, verse 23 to 27. Now, if you've been to an anointing service at New Life, you will know this verse because we say it every single year. It's the ironic blessing. And the verse starts like this. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will know my name on the Israelites. But they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. That's my mum, ladies and gentlemen, the one with the silverware, just so everybody knows. If you get invited to her house, I'll let you know. You send me a picture of the cutlery, I'll let you know how special you are. There's this moment. I've got to pay for that later. So good. Um, if you're online, there was a lady that just came to it. Anyway, um, there's, this, there's this moment where we're going to say these words. And the reason why I want to step through this today, particularly for the adolescents, but for all of us in the room, is we can say scriptures like this and they feel nice. Oh, the Lord bless me and keep me. Make his face to shine upon me and be gracious to me. And, and, and you know, he's going to give me some peace. He's going to be great. This is more than a warm blanket to keep you cozy on a a hard day's night. This is a promise and a blessing of God, and I don't want us to walk past it too fast. You see, this blessing was given in Numbers chapter 6, and in Numbers chapter 6, the Israelites were in the desert at a place called Mount Sinai, and in Mount Sinai, they're receiving their identity and their calling from God. The book of Numbers is the fourth in the, four book, in the five books of the Pentateuch, and they're receiving God's will and command for them as a people. He's forming them and shaping them. And in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, here comes my mother again, everybody, with the clicker. It's so great. And in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, what happens is, is that God invokes a blessing upon them, and he gives Aaron and his sons. Now, if you're like, who's Aaron, and why is he saying stuff to the people of Israel? Aaron and his sons were the priests of Israel. They represented man to God and God to man. And in this moment, God gives them his direct words to speak over them, and they would do it every morning. Every morning, the priests would hop up and pray the morning prayer, and at the end, they would say, The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious towards you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. This was a command. This was the very direct words of God to the people of Israel. This was a deeply formative moment for them where God sought to bless them, where God sought to impart something on them, not just once, but every day. And here at New Life, we say this blessing every year because we believe this is a promise that sets us apart, a promise that sets us up, and a promise that sets our hope for the year that is to come. Now you might be like, "Well, Michael, hey, just I'm, I'm working out here. You know, God's talking to the Israelite nation. I'm not an Israelite. We live in Australia. I, I think this is a bit of a stretch. Is this blessing really for us, or is it like a couple of thousand years past? It's used by date. See, friends, this was given to the Israelite people who were known as the children of God. But just a really short, just sideline here, just to help us understand, is that when Jesus Christ came to earth. He died a death that we should have died after living a life that we could not live. And he became what is known as the true Israel. He was the son of God. But his death and resurrection didn't just mean that he was the son of God, but more so that he wanted to make anyone who would believe in him sons and daughters of God. So by his death and resurrection, he moved the children of God from being an ethnicity group or a geographical group to being anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. And the ironic Blessing theologians would argue is for anyone who calls himself a follower of Christ because you are a brother and sister of Jesus and a son and a daughter of God. You are his people and this is his blessing for his children. And so this year, what does it mean for us to walk recalling the ironic Blessing, expecting the ironic Blessing, and then the last thing I'm going to talk about today is passing on the Aaronic Blessing. So the first thing that we read in the Aaronic Blessing is the words, the Lord, the Lord. Now, I'm, this is going to move really fast, so I want you to stay with me, because I want to break this down, but we don't have time, because we want to spend more time in ministry than anywhere else today. And it says the Lord three times. These two words are actually one word when they're written in Hebrew. It is the word Adonai. Can everyone say Adonai? <laughs> Just the teenagers, Adonai. Yes, you're here. This is fantastic. Literally, I was nothing in the first service. And they would say, Adonai. And what did they mean by the words Adonai? Well, let me. there's a kind of a double movement here. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is chilling out with the burning bush. Don't know if you remember. And, and he's sitting there and he says, who shall I say has sent me? And the Lord God said, gives Moses a name and it is the name Yahweh. So say Yahweh has sent you, the God who is has sent you. Now this name Yahweh is the sacred, personal, intimate name of God. And the Jewish people found it so sacred, so personal, so intimate, and so should it be, that God would reveal himself not just as God, but his personal name, Yahweh, that they would never write it or say it. They would treasure it in their hearts. So they replaced Yahweh with the word Adonai. Now, when we read the Lord, we can sometimes get confused thinking it's like, you know, a British noble Lord. Like, you know, this is Lord Farquhar who's walking around, right? Now, that's, that, that, that kind of weakens what's happening here. It's the best English translation we have. Those of you who don't know who Lord Farquhar is, it's a Shrek reference. Yeah, if you don't know what it is, that's God's blessing. Don't go find out. I just watched it too many times as a kid, right? And, and so he's not talking about like a Lord, like, you know, a bunch of nobles. No, the Lord is this high and lifted up intimate name that we have for a God who's so powerful, words fail him. Words fail to accurately describe him. Whenever you read the word the Lord in the Old Testament, you should read the word Adonai, which is a double movement from the word Yahweh, which describes an all-powerful God who breathes galaxies and stars and humanity into existence, that knows the hairs at every follicle on your head, knows what you're really thinking about instead of listening to me right now. This is Yahweh. God. And he uses his full name to invoke this upon his children. Yahweh bless you. Now, the last thing I want to highlight is that Yahweh is mentioned three times and theologians think this is God referencing to the Trinitarian nature of himself. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit blesses his children. Yahweh bless you. This next part is so important for us to recognize because I think this is a great hope for us heading into 2021. I stake my life, and I believe this is biblical, and I believe it's scriptural, and I believe it's important that we all recognize and understand. God's will for your 2021 is to bless you this year. God wants to and will bless you this year. Now I know some of you are like, amen, I'm ready, let's go, I receive that Lord. And some of you are like, uh-oh, I've been in a church where this has happened before. This next thing he's going to say is God's going to fill my bank account, I'm getting cars, my health is going to go up, and it's, it's, that's, that's just not been my experience. So I want to talk about this, because we say away from the words, I am blessed, because we think it talks about something that is present in our culture, but I don't necessarily find in Scripture. So when we think of the word blessed, we kind of start to fall back into, if you're an Instagram user, hashtag blessed kind of lifestyle. And we see it when, you know, our friend, back when they were flying, they jump onto Emirates and instead of having to be in cattle class, they get promoted to like business class or first class, like hashtag blessed life, everyone, living it up. And we're like, oh my gosh, I wish I was blessed like them, right? We think that what it means to be blessed is to have this in your your driveway. You're like, man, I'm so blessed, of course you feel that way. Look at where you're driving. Some of you are like, man, I am so blessed right now. Look at this. And then some of us go shopping at Rabina on the weekends and we're like, hashtag blessed, friends. Look at all the stuff that I've got. God is blessing me right now. Friends, this is such a weak understanding of what blessed looks like and actually really isn't what God is talking about. Do you drive a nice car? Is that a blessing? Sure, it probably is. You should thank God for that. That's lovely. But the question you should really ask about your understanding of the word blessed is could someone in a persecuted church feel blessed? Are they blessed? The answer is yes. My son's been really sick this week. And uh, yesterday, I just got to the point where we need to take him to the ER. It's fine if you're a parent. You know, ER is kind of like a second home sometimes more than anything. And so we're there, and, 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 and I'm holding my son, and I've only got one nappy, which he's already pooed through. And so I'm like, he's reeking, and everyone's looking at me. I'm like, hey, everybody. And he's crying. He's sniffly. He's hot. I'm like, man, this is not how I thought my Saturday would go this week. I was really hoping it would be something different. I'm there for like four or five hours. And as I'm holding my son and trying to comfort him and, 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 and just kind of a bit frustrated you know. At, all this stuff happening for this week. I sense the Holy Spirit, as I'm thinking through today, just whisper, Michael, are you blessed right now? And I was convicted because I think the answer was yes. Yes. Remember where the Israelites were when God said he was going to bless them? In the desert. They didn't have a land to call their own. They ate the same thing every day, bread and manna and quail. And God's gone, I'm blessing you. Why? Because you see, blessed in the Old Testament isn't necessarily understanding monetary value or acquisition of temporary things. The word blessed is actually more about the belief that God is working for your highest good and greatest need. That God doesn't work necessarily just in temporary circumstances, but internal realities. So for someone to be blessed in 2021, it is the, convinced, the conviction that no matter what I'm facing this year, I am blessed because my God is at work, and I am His child. This is why you can stand in an ER room with everything falling apart around you and be like, "I am a blessed son of God." Not because you feel it, but because you know it's a promise. That's why a persecuted church can, can feel blessed by God facing death the next day because they are blessed. Why? Well, the second thing that I would identify with the word blessed is how Jesus uses blessed. In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus hops up and he goes, blessed are those who have Ferraris. No, 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 not at all, right? He goes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who, when others speak, were ill of you because of me, right? This is, this is not a litany of things I want present in my life. But Jesus blesses them. Why? Is he saying poor in spirit is the blessing? No. You see, the Greek word for blessed actually translate as fully satisfied. He's saying, you will be fully satisfied in me, even though the world around you thinks there is a lack. David Mathis says it like this. So too for us today in the church ages, age, temporal supplies, earthly peace, and human offspring are not wholly irrelevant or insignificant. They can be precious gifts, expressions of God's fatherly flavor. If you've got good stuff going for you, thank God for that. I'm not saying it's bad, but they're not the heart of the blessing. In fact, they can be taken away, not as the removal of God's blessing, but even as the very expression of it. The center and apex of God's blessing, however, is the presence and person of God himself. Do you remember the song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord? I'm not going to sing it because that would be horrible. But the bridge says, he gives and takes away. Blessed be your name. This is the reality of the Christian friends. And I believe that God wants to bless you this year by reminding you that you can be fully satisfied in him and live a different narrative than what the world is saying you should live. Not only does God want to bless you, he wants to keep you. Now, this is not possessive. This is not God being like, don't touch this person, they're mine. This is more the language of a shepherd and his sheep. For a shepherd to keep his sheep, the shepherd knows where the sheep is. The shepherd identifies with the sheep. The shepherd knows when the sheep is lost, when the sheep is in need. What the sheep needs, the shepherd tends to the needs of his sheep. The best understanding of of this word keep, the samar in Hebrew, would be the picture we have of God in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And what I love is the verse that sticks out to us all. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I have a big house and a nice car. No, 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 no. Because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. In the middle of the desert, God is saying, I will keep you in good and bad, for I am the shepherd and you are my sheep. This means it changes our heart disposition Paul Miller kind of invokes these words and says there are two ways you can kind of look at the shepherd during hard times. We are left, he writes, obsessing over our words in the valley of the shadow of death, paralyzed by fear in the presence of our enemies. No wonder so many are so cynical. And can I say, I worry about the rise of cynicism in our church, that we lean towards negativity than hope. So many are so cynical. Both the child and the cynic both walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The cynic focuses on the darkness. The child focuses on the shepherd. The Lord wants to bless you this year. He also wants to keep you, keep your attention on him. He goes, I got this. He also blessed you last year in 2020 and he was your shepherd through COVID as well. Why? Why? Because Yahweh wants to make his face to shine upon you. Have you ever had someone's face shine upon you? What does this mean? I think the word payim is is used in Hebrew here, and simply it's to have God's attention and God's affection. There are these moments when Archer's doing his own thing. My boy, Archer, the one I was holding in my arms, he's doing a lot better today. Thanks for asking. And there was, this, there was this moment where, like, whenever is away from me but I'm in the room, he'll always look back at me to see if I'm looking at him. And what's he hoping to see? A frown? Storm? Anger? No, he's wanting my attention and my affection. And when he gets my attention and my affection, this is what he looks like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Didn't look like that yesterday. And he's like, this is the moment we're having a dance party in my room, in his room actually. There's a cot there. And we're like partying and he's like getting, he's just getting down and he's having fun. He looks at me. He's like, Dad, are you dancing? And I'm looking at him. And he's like, yeah, this is great. And I love it. It happened again this morning. He was off partying by himself and he looked back at me and I said, hey, buddy. He's like, and he kept running off. This is such a beautiful truth for us because we've got to remember that this is how we get to look at God when we realize, friends, you have his attention and his affection. He's looking at you and he has such kindness in his eyes. Do you know the attention and affection of God? Not only does he have attention and affection for you, it says, but he wants to be gracious to you. Yahweh wants to be gracious to you. Sometimes some of us say, well, I like the New Testament God. Don't really like the Old Testament God. He seemed to be pretty angry at the world, and I'd love to not really know him. They're the same God. You can't Think that God in the New Testament is a God of grace and that some, like he had a you know, personality disorder between the Old Testament and New Testament. Like, no, no, he always was a God of grace. Always. Since Genesis. And this proves it. Yahweh wants to be gracious to you. You know what graciousness means? It means that he wants to give you unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Now, when you're like, favor, oh, that's nice. No, 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 hear this. Despite the fact that many of you today will not think of God again and we will all fall short of his glory in some way this week, he wants to still give you his favor because he wants to be gracious to you. This is the scandal of the gospel. This is why we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This isn't like a nice thing we wrap our body in late at night when we're going through a hard day. It transforms our life. That Yahweh sees your darkness and still offers you his perfection. Ah. Friends, if you are not a Christian in this room today, this is good news because you're surrounded by people who are only where they are today because of the graciousness of God. For other than that, we are all broken, hopeless, lost sinners. Ah, He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you. He wants to show you his attention and affection. He wants to show graciousness to you. And again, it goes on to say, he he still wants to turn his face towards you, it says. He turns his face towards you. He lifts up his payim to you one last time, to do what? To give you his peace. To give you his peace. Now, when we think of the word peace, it's actually the word shalom. Everyone say shalom. Shalom. Yeah, some of you like shalom because you knew how to pronounce it better than I did. That's good, well done. (laughs) Shalom is an ancient Jewish greeting because it actually sums up their hope for God's intention towards the earth. Shalom, this peace, is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just the absence of conflict and violence. Shalom, I was was reading through a bunch of stuff from the Bible project, and I love the way they described it, is when God takes brokenness and brings it together in wholeness. Peace is not just, oh, things are going well. It's not just this universe going, I wish for world peace, and us all clapping and cheering, how nice would that be? No, it's a deeper reality than that. When God wishes peace for you, he wants to take your brokenness and bring wholeness to it. This is a powerful invocation, and the Jewish people believed it was God's will for all of humanity and creation that one day God would bring shalom to the world and we join them in that hope. But by the power and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, here's the reality, friends, that whilst we are waiting with hopeful expectation for shalom out there, the gospel tells us we can have shalom in here. Have you allowed God to take your brokenness and make it whole? What a powerful invocation. May Yahweh bring you shalom in 2021. Some of you know what it's like to not be together in here. God wants to heal that. He wants to take away the stain and sin of brokenness and shame and give you back his shalom. His peace. This blessing, friends, it's God already testifying to the gospel that He would see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would start every single epistle with two words: grace and peace to you. Most theologians believe this is Paul actually referencing the ironic blessing, simplifying it down to three words: grace and peace. This isn't just a thousands-year-old blessing. This is a deep truth. For the church, that Yahweh made evident to us by Jesus Christ, his son, that now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can know that God's intention to you is to bring you grace and peace in 2021. And that these things would be a blessing as they keep you safe in the wildest of storms. Do you know the blessing of God? This is why today is so powerful. Because today shouldn't be a standalone. Because the blessing of Aaron is not just something that we recall, It's not just something that we should be expecting for our 2021. Here's where I want to finish today. It's something that we should be passing on. See, what would happen to the Israelite people is that they they would say this this language every single morning. It was great. It was so beautiful. But then after a while, something started to change and they fell out of the practices and rhythms of of what God asked them to do to remind themselves of his goodness and favor towards them. And in Judges chapter 2, we read this. A couple moments after, um, after Moses had passed away and his, and his, and his uh, successor Joshua had also passed on, we read these, these sad words are written to us of the people of Israel. After that whole generation had either been gathered to their, had been gathered to their ancestors, which means they had all died, another generation grew up. And here's the sad thing. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. A generation rises up who does not know the blessing of God or his intention for his people. Because at some stage, the priests, the people, had stopped invoking the blessing of God on each other, reminding them of the good news that it was to have Yahweh with them. And here is the problem we must face. Why? And the only sensible thing that come to my mind is a generation forgot to pass the baton on. Hey, 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 listen to me, 13-year-old. You hear this before you do anything else? know the Lord wants to bless you and keep you. He wants to make his, his payim shine upon you, his attention and his affection. His graciousness is for you. Oh, he wants to lift up his face and give you shalom. Do you know what that means? All the insecurity you feel and fear and, and worry, he wants to bring together. At some stage, they stop talking like that. And they stopped recognizing that the generation's greatest responsibility is to replicate what God had done in them in the next generation. Because here's what I know, friends. There are two kinds of churches we can be, a church with the generations or a generational church. Now, a church with the generations means that we celebrate that we've got Agnes here, who's like, you know, pumping it on hundreds, she's doing so well. And we've got someone as young as zero, and it's fantastic, we have new birth. But friends, all that means is that we're a church with generations. It's like a badge we wear, so we can be like, hey, whatever age you are, you're welcome. That's great. But to be a generational church, it means we believe in generational curses and blessings. And the greatest thing that we can do is pass a blessing on to the next generation, not just by rocking up, but by passing the gospel on to them. It means that we don't only care, does this church, has it fitted my preference of what church should be? No, we make it a priority, not a preference, to rock up and show teenagers, show children that God is worthy to be served. Here's what I know. I love the youth ministry. Jace and Courtney, killing it, doing a great job. Nicola, James, all the team, they're doing absolutely amazing, phenomenal work. But when we think that children will follow Jesus because we have those ministries, we've lost the point. They will follow Jesus because the generation above them, whether they are their parents, singles, or their grandparents, have chosen to take responsibility for showing them that God is worth following. We shouldn't have to rescue our teenagers from Sunday services so that they're not bored. Our worship and our leaning in should be so infectious that they want to be nowhere else but by our side. Because this is where God is moving and working and the generational blessing is flowing through. Psalm 145 verse 4 says this, One generation will declare your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. Friends, would this describe us? This is why we do anointing Sunday, so that the generations would hear the goodness of God. Teenagers, if you're awake, lean in right now. Listen, if not, someone wake them up. You were here today because I wanted you to hear and see your mom and dad or people who aren't your mom and dad show you that Yahweh, that Jesus is worth following. And there is blessing from that. You know what the blessing looks like? Moms and dads, singles, whoever you are, looks like 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3 to 7. 2 Timothy 1 verse 3 to 7. We got there. Paul writes to the young church plan to Timothy, and he says this, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which apparently wasn't his, because it first lived in your grandmother Eunice. No, Lois. Someone changed the name on me between them. (laughs) And in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you as well. There are some parents in this church who are struggling right now because their kids are not in church I just felt this just in worship today. I want to tell you, um, because you attend a generational church, that's not your burden to bear alone. Uh, Today wasn't about condemning you. You're part of a church where we're going to be praying for you and your family. There are some people here who have young children and they're so scared and worried they don't know what they're doing. And some of you know how to do it. And they're longing for someone to come alongside them and go, hey, let me show you what it means to raise godly young children. It's hard, but we can do it together. we're a generational church. Not just a church with generations. Woe be the day when having a children's and youth ministry and a young adult ministry and a senior's ministry and a family's ministry excuses our responsibility to stop declaring the gospel to other generations. So today, we're going to offer a blessing and anointing. And my prayer is this, that you would lean in whatever demographic you're from, that others might look at you and go, hey, if it's good enough for them, maybe this gospel thing is real. Maybe it's going to play out. Maybe I should give it a go. Would you stand with me? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's called The Blessing. And it's these words put to a tune. Not these words, um, the next slide's words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord... Make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. The Lord lift up his face, turn his face towards you and give you. Sorry, the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his, lift up his face towards you and give you his peace. In, well, as we sing this next song, here's what I'd love to do. If you're a parent here, um, your children are now ready for you to collect them. And we would love you to go grab them and bring them here so we can anoint and bless you as a family. If you're a teenager here, I just want to let you know, being here today is one of the most significant choices you made of your Sunday morning. I didn't get to choose, Michael. I had to be here. Let's pretend you did. Thank you for coming. Just before, I know parents are moving, but as they do, what I'd love to do is just pray. Would you pray with me right now? Because there are some people here in this room who don't know the blessing of God. And I want to create an opportunity for that. If God has yet to bring shalom to your heart, I'd love you to repeat these words with me because the offer is on hand for you right now. Jesus wants to give you shalom. Before he happens outward, it wants to be an inward reality. So if you would love to know the shalom through the forgiveness and repentance of our sins and grace of Jesus Christ, I'd love you to repeat these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my mistakes and my sins. Forgive me and wash me clean. Show me shalom. Make whole what was broken. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, whether someone's online or in the room right now, we join in with heaven and celebrate people who have prayed that prayer for the first time. And I celebrate that I get to pray that prayer again as well. That, Father, we all have shalom and offer for us today. We thank you for these truths and these realities. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.